0: Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Hello and welcome to another episode of Midweek in the Word. We're glad you've chosen to join us uh, for another week. Um, As always, I am Pastor Brad, the Adult Ministries Pastor at Faith Bible Church. I'm thrilled that you're here with us for another week, and uh, back again. Tom wasn't able to join us um, last week, but back again with us this week on the podcast uh, is our preaching pastor, Pastor Tom Rempel. Uh, thanks for your willingness to come back, um, Tom, and uh, I'm sure I I can join with the listeners in in uh, just telling you that uh, we we feel bad and and our hearts go out to Linda, especially with the passing of her mother um, last week.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. I was not able to join you because uh, we were in the process of uh, ushering uh, my mom-in-law into the Lord's presence, and uh, she had uh, said for a long time, I've never I've never had a home, but when I get there, I will be home forever. So uh, last Friday morning, uh, actually Saturday morning at 1230, uh, she was welcomed into her forever home, and uh, we appreciate all the encouragement that people have sent our way since then. Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we are sorry for your loss and we celebrate with you that, you know, we don't mourn like those who have no hope. So what a, what a blessing that she was a believer. Um. But appreciate your willingness to come back around and step back onto the podcast and, and Jared's willingness last week to host, host for me. Um. But yes. I am back in the driver's seat again this week. And and uh, you just kept rolling uh, through your Route 66 sermon series, um, through your snapshots from Genesis to Revelation. And this this last week on Saturday or Sunday or whenever people had the chance to to watch the service, they they heard about the prophet Elijah from First Kings 17 through 22. Um, what did we primarily learn about God uh, from the life of of Elijah on Sunday?
1: Well, the thing that, that really stood out to me, I kept reading over and over Elijah's life was uh, the emphasis on fire and, uh, and then that, that, that it is the symbol of God's presence. It's the mm-hmm. statement of God's purifying work. It is the warning of judgment. So basically we saw that a sovereign God is present and pure and he's powerful. And Israel had forgotten that. And uh, so they needed to be reminded of the greatness of their God, the God of Israel.
0: Hmm. And that's going to be a good reminder, as obviously as we get into the prophetic books, which we haven't covered any yet, later on, those prophets are going to rely heavily on that imagery of of fire. Um, so we'll look forward to exploring that a little bit more with some of the other prophets in the future, hopefully in your sermon series as well. Um, what about the flip side? What about mankind? What about us? What did we learn about that from the life of Elijah?
1: Well, it, it was interesting. Elijah just called him out. And he says, so, so how long are you going to stumble back and forth between two mm. opinions? You know, is it the God of Baal or is it the God of Israel? And, uh, you know, at the end of that great showdown, they fall on their face and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then they immediately, there's no national revival. So we just see mm. the divided loyalty and the, the predictable fickleness of the heart of humans.
0: Mm. Yeah, no doubt. And that's, that's something I'm sure that many of us resonate uh, with. Our, our heart is an idol factory. Uh, we think of physical idols in the Old Testament, but it's no less true of our willingness to create false idols in our own lives. Uh, finally, how, how did all of this point us to Christ?
1: Well, I thought it interesting is that when Elijah uh, left, he didn't die. He uh, was suspicioned as being John the Baptist in John chapter 1. Are you Elijah? Are you that prophet? Uh, Then he appears on the Mount of Transfiguration with Christ. So in this case, he was the portrait of the forerunner that would prepare the way for the one, the Christ, uh, who would come. But the preparation for the Christ who would come was to call people to repentance.
0: Hmm. Yeah, fascinating. Where that role is picked up by John the Baptist in the New Testament uh, as he introduces Christ, uh, Christ coming. Yeah, that that's obviously a few weeks out yet for us, but we'll look forward to trying to tie that thread together as we get to John the Baptist. I, I don't suppose you remember what when, when are we going to get to John in your sermon series? Do you remember where that's at in the calendar?
1: Uh, we're going to be pushing pretty close to the fall. So
0: okay, I, sometime yeah, in know. the fall.
1: Sometime in the fall. We're not too far away, but we're gonna yeah, we're gonna spend a little more time in the old testament, uh, slowly uh enjoying the journey.
0: (laughs) Good. Yeah, there's a lot more characters to cover before we get to Christ, but uh listeners stick a pin in in the Elijah one because that's gonna come back up again when we hit John the Baptist in the New Testament. Um now, Tom, for for the last few weeks, uh, we've been sticking pretty closely as best we can to the the themes in your Route sixty six series, talking about poetry with Pastor Troy and then wisdom literature last week um, but this week I want to step back and, and tackle something that isn't specifically related to your sermon on Elijah uh, because many or or many of the common questions I get related to biblical interpretation um, are actually about translations of the Bible uh, a lot of times I have people come up and ask, you know, why are there so many translations or how are they different from each other? Or or maybe the most common is what translation should I use? I know what Tom's preaching from, from the pulpit, uh, but what translation should I use? What translation should I get for my kids? You know, some of those types of questions. Uh, so listeners this week, we want to, we want to talk briefly about biblical translations and their use. And and we pray it's going to be a helpful discussion Um both understanding translations and then practically helping you understand how to use them. Uh, so Tom, let's, let's start off by talking a little about of the history of translation here. Could, could you give us a real brief description of, of some of the basics of the history of Bible translation?
1: Well, I, I think the interesting is that uh, we are not original language people. Uh, the Old Testament was uh, delivered in the language of Hebrew, uh, the New Testament primarily in Greek. Uh, some Aramaic there. Uh, Translation uh, really began when uh, Gentiles began converting to following Christ, and they didn't know the Hebrew language. So uh, the Septuagint was a translation of the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek so that new believers could grow and mature. And uh, so anytime that an Old Testament passage is quoted in the New Testament, even in the greek the hebrew had to be translated into greek so that they would understand the old testament passage as well so uh it it's far older than even uh, as it were christianity whenever there was a movement uh around the world where there was a language change there had to be a translation of the text in order for people to understand it
0: hmm. yeah so this is we we find ourselves in a long line if you will of of bible translators uh, translating out of other languages um, so so as as Christians, especially as we move into the New Testament and then into the early church and um, you know into you know the the dates that maybe we're more a little familiar with um, how how did we end up then with so many different translations uh, Where did that come from
1: well I think there was uh, it was constantly an effort to be more accurate in in rightfully rendering what the original was. And a couple of things. One is just uh, uh, as language changes, we, we were laughing about Romeo and Juliet and that style of English, which we hardly would recognize today. Um, so as language changes and words take on different meanings. Even now, once in a while, my grandkids will look at me and say, Papa, that word doesn't mean what you think it means anymore. <laughs> you know, so, so as language molds in shapes, uh, we go back and look and say, is this accurately representing in our understanding what the original was? So I think it's those things, cultural changes take place. Uh, but I, I think mostly it's just driven by a desire to be as accurate as possible with what was originally declared.
0: Hmm. Yeah. You know, and you add, you add to that, that is, as, as, uh, you know, archeology span uncovers different manuscripts. You know, we think of the yep. Dead Sea Scrolls yep. and the the insight that provided in translation, you know, then there's updates in the scholarly yep. attempts to be accurate with it. I, I think that's helpful. Um, now, now one of the things I do want to ask though, is, is a lot of times, especially for pastors, you know, when, when you were studying to be a pastor, you had to, you had to study Hebrew and Greek probably, um, so, so what, what, what can be lost maybe in translation? Because obviously, there's a priority there to understand the original languages too.
1: Well, there's um, words have meaning in not only their written context but in their cultural context, and so there are there are times when uh, when that Hebrew word used in that time and place would have a color to it a picture that accompanied it or, or a greek phrase that we just simply can't you'll often in your commentary see and they'll say well there's no direct translation or a direct word that adequately expresses the full meaning of this word so for mm-hmm. those that are experts the daryl De of the world <laughs> uh, they they are able to appreciate the color as it were the the pictures that are formed just in the expression of the phrase itself, that that we don't, that we miss when we go just straight to the to the English. On the flip side, uh, there are very few really skillful original language people that can can honestly weigh judgment on the translation or interpretation that was given to that. They can appreciate the discussion, but there's not very many of my friends are such experts in the original language that that they can second guess the, the interpretation of the translation has been handed to us either.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's good. You know, cause it really speaks to, you know, the reality that what, what we have in our current translations, even though they're not in the original language are, are exceptionally reliable. You know, yeah. we have really good translations that we can understand. And while a a professor or a pastor may act, you know wax eloquent about a particular Greek term or Hebrew term, uh, the reality is uh, we understand pretty well in our English translations of of the Bible. Even though there are some nuances and things like that 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 maybe understand the original languages would lend us to believe. Yeah. Um, which, which kind of speaks to one, one of our core values as a church is living by the book. Well, that means that we have to be able to believe the Bible. We have to be able to understand the Bible to put it into practice. And as inerrantists, believing that the Bible is without error, we always note that it's without error in its original translation and right. its original writing, um, much, much for the reasons that you're talking about there. Um, so, 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 if all that's the case, then um, as we move from original language into practical translations that we have today, what makes a good "quote unquote" versus bad translation, and how do we know which is which?
1: Well, I, I, I believe that we ought to first of all go with the translation that has worked uh, hard at being as close to the original phrase and wording as possible, if we're going to most accurately understand the might and heart of God and his intention in communicating, you know, the second Timothy three, all scripture is God breathed; It's the breath of God. Or as one of my friends says, it's the, the scriptures are God's breath and his breath is never stale, you know? So a, mm-hmm. a good translation to be using is the one where those who have done the work have labored hard to keep it as accurate to the original as possible. Um, so a bad translation, I suppose. That it, it it's hard to say because of the work that goes in. As we were talking earlier about the the motive, the driving is is just a pastoral desire to make God's word understandable. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll probably talk later. But you know there there are direct. Word for word, virtually translations, and then there are par- uh, paraphrases that seek to express the idea or the concept that was being communicated, rather than the word or the sentence. They just here's the meaning of that. And uh, i have friends with Wycliffe Bible translators around the world, and they live in that world. You know, it's like what what mm-hmm. is the expression? What is the thought being communicated? How do we say that in the language of the people? So, for mm-hmm. us, I'd say if you're if you're doing Bible exposition, you want to start with good Bible exegesis, which means you grab a translation that takes you as close as possible to the original wording.
0: Mm. It kind of brings us back to that thought of authorial intent that you've mentioned before. If, If the philosophy of the translator is, we want you to understand the original intent that the author put, Um, they're probably seeking to do the right things. You know, I I think of, and I'm I'm quoting here from uh, the ESV translation, because that's what you preach from. In, In the preface, they say the ESV is an essentially literal translation that seeks as far as possible to capture the precise wording of the original text and the personal style of each Bible writer, and goes on to say, thus it seeks to be transparent to the original text, letting the reader see as directly as possible the structure and meaning of the original. That heart to help us understand not not to not to make it say something that 's relevant to us, obviously it will be relevant as the Word of God, but to help us understand what the author said as best as possible. I think that 's helpful um, but but the other thing that comes up in a lot of these prefaces in Bible translations is that not all translations have the exact same intent, even if it is to understand the Word of god they 've got slight variations, and you 've already spoken to this a little bit but. What are the different goals that Bible translators can have in mind that are slightly different from each other in this subject?
1: Well, I, I think that the word-for-word the word is a motivation there is, again, to help the Bible interpreter, that is, the student is going to communicate it to others, understand with clarity. Others, it's a sense of, I want to encourage people to be Bible readers. And so sometimes the word-for-word reads a little more stiff or awkward than the paraphrase which expresses the concept the idea uh, to, to bring about the thought for thought rather than word for word kind of thing and uh, so a, a translator will will say let's let's make this as smooth reading as we can so that they won't get discouraged on the journey
0: hmm I think you know I think that's helpful if we we think about it kind of like a continuum, you know, the word for word translations on one end and the translations we would think of, you know, the NASB or, you know, some other more literal translations. And then the thought for thought, you know, on the other end, you know, getting into the NIV, you know, and the new living translation and things like that, having different motivations in mind. So then in light of that, how, how do we use those different types of translations that we would say are both good translations, those slightly different purposes for their interpretation?
1: Well, over the years, I've got quite a Bible collection. (laughs) and and So uh, because I don't go back and work in the Hebrew to Greek, you you, you take off the various translations. And we call it the parallel Bible. We used to sell a lot of those, you know, four different translations running side by side. So you can look across the page. But it, it makes for a great Bible commentary, quite honestly, as if, because uh, every translator is also an interpreter. He's, he's trying to grapple with what was the original intended meaning and how do I express it? So we use different translations side by side to shed light on what is hard to comprehend, perhaps.
0: Mm. Which is which is admittedly with the uh, the app age that we live in a whole lot easier than it used to be, I'm sure rather than however many hundred pounds worth of different translations of Bible you have an an iPad that has I don't know how many different translations <laughs> available with a, a click of the button. Uh, I know personally as I as I prep to teach I tend to 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 go to the new living translation to try to understand some of those thought for thought big picture things and then work my way toward the more literal translations as I start doing my exegetical work on dicing the individual words and things yep. like that. Okay, so let's let's say that's all the case and we recognize we've got a lot of good translations, we realize a lot of our translators have done great work in understanding the original languages and giving us the authorial intent in the English words that we have in our translations and we've got a few different translations to read from and and we're using them differently. Um, Let's try and get some practical suggestions here for our listeners. Um, Can you think of any examples or or misuses of translations that might be helpful for our listeners to avoid practically?
1: Well, I I think (laughs) I I have an illustration. One of our former elders was teaching a Bible study to state senators, and uh, he had done his work in a particular translation in the Gospel of John. And the morning he went down for the Bible study early, he was kind of in a hurry, left the house. The Bible he'd been working in all week was still on the dining room table. (laughs) He got there, he reached in the back, he grabbed the translation that was in the back of his car. He went into the Bible study and he opened it up and you got the state senators there for encouragement. (laughs) And the, the, the verse that he had built his whole lesson around was not. In the text, <laughs> the <interpreter, laughs> translator had questioned the, the the original source, and they had not put it in the margin. as was characteristic. Of, so they Very completely good. eliminated. And so he has a whole room full of senators waiting for him to expound upon a verse that's not in the text. Anyway,
0: and, and don't send us any emails. We will not reveal the identity <laughs> that like of this individual. Oh, what a bummer!
1: Yeah, so anyway, there there are some of those. I, I think. In my own experience, with the first church I was pastor in, I, I apparently didn't read the church constitution as closely as I should, and so one of my jobs was to be the service um, moderator, the MC, as it were. So I would do the announcements and I would read the scripture that the pastor was going to preach on. And uh, four weeks into it, I had I had a deacon just just ripped my hide off in the north hallway of the church. And he says, have you ever read our constitution? I said, well, yeah. We said, well, we have, it just says specifically in there that no translation except the King James, original King mm. James. Bible will be used in the pulpit of this congregation. And so there was a sense, I was using the New American Standard. That was the classroom text of my Bible college. It was, mm-hmm. it was the one I was most familiar with. I was just opening up and reading it. But all of a sudden, there's a, a instead of hearing what the text was saying, he was fighting for the translation. So the, I think those are some of the concerns. We need to be careful. We're not fighting for our translation, but we're fighting for the Word of God that is translated.
0: Mm. In particular, you think of as, as newer translations come out that that have more, um, more knowledge about some of the original texts and things like that, and they update things. Some of what we were talking about earlier, um, while you may like your original translation of King James or whatever version it might be, um, there, there may be new insights, good things yes. that, that help the translators that come out as things go. So don't get too tied to your translation unless you can read it in the original Greek and Hebrew and all that, in which case we commend you uh, for your work on that. I, well, yeah, you know, I think that's, I like that's helpful.
1: It's kind, of a, it's kind of an evangelical joke, but it's been said over and over that, you know, if the King James is good enough for the Apostle Paul, my word, it ought to be good enough for us. You know? <laughs> so, so, somehow we, we hook a history to a translation that is not accurate, but we use it to defend the one we have rather than to say, wow, hmm. if somebody can help me understand more clearly what it is that God is saying to me, I want, I want to go there. So, yeah, read yeah. the discernment, but at the same time, don't be so stubborn.
0: <laughs> a little bit of church history goes a long way <laughs> in our discussion of translations. Uh, absolutely. Um, okay. So then kind of on the flip side, as far as not so much the dangers to avoid, um, can you give us some specific examples of a few translations you personally like to use, uh, but but specifically in light of how you recommend using them? Because you said you have a whole lot of different translations. But based upon our discussion about the kind of the philosophy of translation, how do you use those translations? You know, what would you use them for?
1: Well, I I use the NIV for my yearly Bible reading. I've got a chronological uh, this year. I'm on a chronological read, and it's the NIV, and it reads smoothly. It's comfortable. I'm not using it for my exegetical work, but I am certainly using it for my devotional um, hmm. I, I, I use the New American Standard as the one I spiritually cut my teeth on in Bible college. I preached out of it for uh, up till uh, I was introduced to the ESV. Um, I use the ESV because I I'm comfortable with it. I like it. I think it's I think it's accurate. I'm not criticizing the others. Um, the the New King James. I, I still pull my King James Bible off the shelf and read it. Uh, just, just to see if there's any clarity, light shed on it. That plus the fact that my dad didn't have much money, but he bought me a really nice one when I went to
0: Bible <laughs> college.
1: So uh-huh. I keep pulling it off to remember that. Uh, and then uh, J.B. Phillips had a New Testament translation that I will frequently pull off. I was introduced to that years ago. Again, it's, it's, it's more of a paraphrase and it's a little bit loose, but once in a while it sheds a word picture on that I didn't get in my other work.
0: Hmm. Good. Good deal. So some of the concepts we were talking about earlier, obviously coming back up in this suggestion. Um, what about what, one of the questions I do get is, is what translation should I start my kids on? You know, they're ready to move from, um, a children's Bible or, or having it read to them, beginning to read it for themselves. What translation would you recommend there and why?
1: Well, wow, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a real struggle. I, I, I think that the ESV, the NASB all read smoothly that uh, that young children would embrace it. But uh, but if if their comfort is in like the, the New Living Translation or uh, something like that, I, I don't discourage anyone in particular. Uh, I, I, the ESV would be the one if parent family are going to spend some money simply because as they're sitting with us in church, They won't get lost as I'm reading along. Sometimes Mm -hmm. people say, well, mine didn't exactly lay it out in that flow. Uh, In my men's Bible studies, where we read around the circle and you can hear the different translations. So at, at, at Faith Bible Church, I would encourage the English Standard Version because I think it is useful and it helps the children stay in the flow of our study as we go.
0: Connected. Yeah, that's a good thought. And if I might add to that, too, one of the things that a lot of people don't think about is, looking at translations, different translations have, have varying word counts that they use, you know, so something like the NASB requires a much larger vocabulary, which may be an obstacle to somebody that's new to English or a young child that, that may be an NIV or an ESV, or, you know, a newer translation that's come out, the HCSB, uh, which I've found to be very practical that way um, has a smaller word count is a little easier to tackle. Uh, Sometimes things like that are worth considering, you know, um, well, good. My my hope is that for your, for listeners, this this is a helpful dialogue. That, that this this has been a little helpful, helping you understand how did the translations come about. Where where does my translation fit, um, Tom? If if I can summarize this discussion, then um, is it is it fair to say that that basically, while while we recognize the original languages, obviously uh, are the inerrant text. What we have based upon archaeological data and things like that are really good English translations of the Bible, um, though as they translate, because of the cultural context and other things, it's, it's, there are some interpretive things they have to do, so it's worth considering different translations as we read, not getting locked in to just one, using them in light of their philosophy for translation, um, and recognizing that to, to use one on the thought-for-thought level um, that is a word for word, or one on the word for word level. That's thought for thought might result in some um, some confusion on our own part of reading. But uh, any any final thoughts on this subject? Things you want to leave our listeners with on the idea of Bible translations?
1: Well, I, I think to to read the Bible with discernment and. And uh, but not as a skeptic. I think our translations are whichever one of those that we've talked about is it, it is the work of godly men under the leading of the spirit of God who have examined carefully. We can trust our Bible. So my encouragement is is take the Bible that you already own and read it. And if you want to hear God's voice audibly, read it out loud, you know, mm. because it, it's, it's reliable. It's the breath of God, and it'll refresh your soul. Mm.
0: And I know you've said before on this podcast, but uh, I think it's a good reminder that, that the best Bible translation is the one that you'll read. That's right. Uh, which is our emphasis this year in, in helping people engage with the text of Scripture as we move through the Bible. Um, now, with that in mind, uh, we've got another, another subject in the character coming up this weekend. Uh, you're preparing to preach on the person and life of Elisha. Um, let's, just, let's just go back through our preparation questions. What are, what are you looking forward to uh, preaching on in the life of Elisha?
1: Well, Elisha is uh, it's, it's almost like a repeat of the story of Moses. What Moses was sent by God into Egypt to prove and declare. So Elisha is sent to Israel to remind them that the Lord, he is God. And so I've been watching the parallels there. How that'll come across, I'm not sure, but it's been really interesting to go. The God the Bible begins with, in the beginning, God. And then Moses says, he is the Lord, our God. And then he sends Elisha going to remind him of that. So that's that's the part I'm looking forward to.
0: Yeah, the greatness of God being on display in the life of Elisha. Uh, any interpretive questions you're wrestling with when it comes to this text?
1: Well, interpretive, uh, not so much, although Jared and I were uh, laughing about one particular one where he deceptively leads some blind people and tells them they're going someplace they're not. <laughs> mm. But, but uh, 60 years of, of prophetic ministry uh, doubled the miracles that occurred in the ministry of elijah second only to the ministry of jesus What what is the meaning of miracles and how are how are we to uh, understand those so that that's kind of where the concentration is
0: mm, that might be a good subject for us to come back to again in a future podcast as well finally how can we prepare our hearts for the message on sunday
1: Well, I I think, again, that God says that there must be two witnesses to validate an accusation. And he brings two witnesses, Elijah and Elisha. And uh, they are legendary representatives of the God of Israel. To prepare our hearts, we need to be prepared to let them speak to us. What is it that they say to us? It's practical. It's relevant. It's not just Old Testament history, but he speaks to our world today. And we're, we're in a world that's burning itself up, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, God's going to speak, I think, with great practical application to exactly where we're living today.
0: Amen. We'll be looking forward to hearing that on Sunday. Um, well, that's it for this week's podcast, listeners. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, remember, if you're following along in the weekly reading, you've got 1 Kings 19 verses 19 through 21 and 2 Kings 2 uh, to get you ready for the life and the work of Elisha. Um, and then as we've been waiting and waiting for over the last few weeks, we we are looking forward to seeing some of you hopefully on Sunday. Uh, remember uh, that the service times are 8 o'clock rather than our normal 9 o'clock service time and then 10.30 as well to allow time for cleaning in between. Um, Don't forget uh, to let us know you'll be joining us uh, with that RSVP link that came out via Faith News and the letter hopefully you've received at this point. Um, And do remember that if that if you're uncomfortable joining us for the service, whether that be due to work situation or or health situation or family situation, uh, we absolutely respect your decision. um, And we are uh, committed as elders and pastors to continue shepherding you, to continue to help you engage with the services online um, so you can stay connected to the body, even though you can't physically be with us. Um, But know that even uh, whether you're with us on Sunday or whether you can't join us on Sunday, we will be praying for you. And we do hope you join us again next week for the podcast as we continue to look at characters from the Bible. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.